Hi, this is Andrew Miller from Business Enjoyment and this is another episode of The Tingle Zone. In this episode I'm talking with Gemma Perkins, founder of the Self Leadership Initiative, who inspires and empowers individuals to become their best selves through interactive coaching and learning experiences. With a focus on soft skills such as emotional intelligence and self-leadership, Gemma helps individuals lead their lives effectively and with authenticity. Whether one aims to become a manager in the workplace or start a family, Gemma's training and coaching provided a grounded sense of self-awareness. Having worked in education and found herself in a toxic work environment, Gemma realised there was a better way of doing things and set off on her own to make the world a better place. In our conversation, we cover such topics as the challenges of starting a business, the importance of saying no to clients, and the power of self-awareness and self-reflection. Gemma's passion for helping individuals improve their emotional intelligence, leadership skills, and well-being shines through in this episode. Before we jump into the interview, if not already done so, please have a listen to my TEDx talk. If you go to my website, businessenjoyment.com, a pop-up will appear, giving you direct access. Alternatively, take a look at my LinkedIn profile, and you'll find a link there, either in my profile or in the featured section. This talk sets out my ethos that life and business is about so much more than just money, and sets out how you can be successful and happy at the same time. So do check that out, but for now, sit back, relax think about where you could do with a bit more self-leadership and most of all enjoy. So my name is Gemma Perkins and I am a personal transformation facilitator and what I do is I inspire and empower people to become their best selves by delivering uh, training, coaching, learning experiences that are very interactive, self-reflective and focus on soft skills such as emotional intelligence and, and essentially self-leadership being able to lead your own life effectively so that then if you want to lead others if you want to start a family be a manager in a workplace whatever it is you've got that grounding in who you are yourself and you can be really authentic and self-aware in doing so you talk about leadership and self-leadership so is there a particular sort of area that you're focusing on or I mean, self-leadership sounds like that can apply in pretty much any situation. Yeah, and I think that can be one of the interesting challenges in expressing what I do is it's it's very broad um, because sometimes I work with corporate teams who are really looking at managers and leadership and that can entail, obviously, leadership models of, okay, how do you implement different styles? How do you manage projects? But the self always comes into it. But I also work with young people, I work with refugees, I work with graduates, and I just work with individuals on their kind of health and well-being. And self-leadership is the common thread across all of it, where whatever topic I'm teaching people about or that we're exploring, we're working out how does that feed into an individual's emotional intelligence, their kind of sense of identity their goals in life and how are they packaging that learning in a way that um i guess relates to who they are and what they want to get out of life so it's it's an interesting way of tailoring learning experiences to people and i think it's really important that we focus on that that element of self first because some training that i've been on myself is sort of we're going to teach you this thing so that we've got this outcome and once i've told it to you 
then clearly you know what you're doing you can go away and apply it but knowledge and application are different and you need that that fluency of knowing who you are to be able to apply things well and the self-evaluation to embed it and make it work properly so everything that I try to do focuses on that re reflective work that comes with with hopefully any learning experience but not always in practice for some people yeah no, that is, is very very important I always, I always I totally agree with you it's one of those things that you know if when when your mindset is 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 not in self-leadership mode when it's just leadership mode you're always looking to control external variables which is mm. ultimately impossible whereas if you can have that inner confidence know that no matter what's going on you've got the self-leadership to be able to cope you yeah. can move into any situation and be able to deal with it yeah for sure and so there's the there's the personal stuff like the resilience knowing your values your identity uh, so that as you say when things are getting on top of you you can use that as a grounding but also if you're super authentic in in what you're aiming for and how you communicate build relationships and trust with others everybody's going to look to you as the leader of the team anyway and you're going to get more done so I think it, it's really interesting that some people start off by saying oh yes I'd like to be a leader teach me how to not quite boss people around but that is a misconception I get with some groups of right how do I make other people do what I want them to and I have to say no no let's go back a step who are you and, and what, what do you bring to, to leadership and, and how do you live your own life well? And once you've got this vision, people will flock to you and people will come to you because you know, they know you've got your stuff together and they're going to see you as a role model. Mm. So it's that, it, I'm a very um, big fan of Mahatma Gandhi's, you must be the change you wish to see in the world. I think if you're dealing with your inner change and you're leading your life well, you become a beacon. And that, that's a really special kind of leadership. Yes, instead of getting people to do things, what can you do to inspire them to want to do it? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So, tell us, Gemma, <laughs> <laughs> to put you in this position of, of opening people up to understand how to inspire others and how to be the, the step into their power and be, uh, be, the, be the leader uh, of themselves and therefore of others. How did you get to this point here to, to sort of presumably going on your own self-leadership journey to uncover your own strength? Is that a, a fair guess? Yeah, yeah. So uh, absolutely. I went through this process myself and I'm, I'm so grateful and privileged that I, I did this when I was 16. So many wow. moons ago now and lots of lots of people I meet as adults haven't had that opportunity and you can see and feel that difference. So when I was at college, um, I somewhat accidentally just signed up for a leadership program. I say accidentally because I was quite academic, kept my head down. You know, I, I was always good with, with grades and I'd got this message that, you know, you need to do extracurricular activity to help you in your career. So somebody came around and said, oh yeah, we've got Duke of Edinburgh scheme and we've got this leadership program. And it was very mindless of, well, I don't like camping, so I'll do the leadership. <laughs> I think that's the best explanation for going on whatever. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, so it, when, I, when I did it, it was a residential. So we kind of had three or four days um, out in some, some little village in the Peak District. And 
were kind of put in groups to, to learn about all sorts of, again, things just understanding yourself. So the program at the time was called Learn to Lead. And again, it wasn't about leading others. It was about leading yourself. So we looked at personality archetyping, models of goal setting that I guess hopefully a lot of adults know about. But as a young person, I'd never heard of these. And it just completely changed my outlook that, okay, not only can I set goals more effectively so I get things done, but I'm also not just setting study goals. I was asked, what about your hobbies and interests? What about your spirituality if you have any or your your friendships and relationships and it was like oh when I was at school nobody asked me to think about goals in that area but now you mention it I can work on these parts of my life and things like how to problem solve in teams and questions about who I was and the thinking time to work through it it just it, it was it was transformational. I came back home and my dad was a bit worried that we'd been to some sort of cult. He was just like, what on earth happened to you? Why are you, you know, I was, I was buzzing and quite emotional that, um, that I'd gone through so much change in such a short period. And also I'd not really got any friends at college at the time. I, I was the only person um, fr from a particular kind of school or group. And so I didn't really know anybody but one person from my chemistry class was in the same team as me. And so that really cemented that friendship and she's my best friend and, and has been for a, a great number of years. So there was all sorts of wonderful stuff about this programme. And the chap who ran the programme um, finished off by saying, if anybody's enjoyed this, you can volunteer to come back and mentor others absolutely Let, let's do some of that that sounds great so then um we probably at least three times a year run big training weekends and then in between that have follow-up one-off events and, and training work in between where as a 17 18 19 year old I was learning about how to be an effective mentor I was seeing the material over and over but when I was seeing it each time, you got a little bit more depth or I was learning it the first time, but now I can see somebody else learning it in a different way. And I'm building empathy for their worldview. Um, and also I was, I was interested in studying to be a teacher. So while I was studying psychology and teaching, I was learning activities and kind of saying to, to Chris, um, the man who ran it, oh, we could build this in or have we thought about so I kind of moved from train um, mentor to kind of doing a bit of coaching to doing a bit of training. And I must have volunteered there for nine years or so, all throughout my studies, uh, absolutely loved it. And then I, I got to teaching um, and it wasn't what I wanted. Um, I, I, so I, 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 I had a primary school class for maybe a year and a, a year and three months and then there was a really tough period where my grandmother died uh, my sister's partner died and that was a very young and traumatic death um, and the school that I was in had a, a head teacher with a very bullying culture very toxic lots of staff turnover and I was so overwhelmed working a 70 hour week teaching. And then Chris said, hey, we've got, a, we've got a training weekend coming up in London. I know you're super busy, do you want to do it? 
I said, you know what, it, I'm, I'm so busy, but it, this rejuvenates me, this gives me energy. Yes, I'll come along. I think it's just what I need. Um, so out of interest, during that period when you're overwhelmed, stressed, a lot going on, obviously you're still helping out with Christians. Mm. Um, I'm trying to think how to question this, but were you conscious, having, having you know, started learning and about who you are and getting better all you know for years of, of this stuff were you, were you conscious of being in that overwhelm and working out how to manage yourself through that or was it so in over encompassing that actually it was almost two worlds going on the world at school and the world outside school kind of thing oh no no I knew I I'd, I'd got a lot of experience in knowing okay this is a challenge this is how I'm dealing with it um I mean there's a few other bits I've kind of skipped over where in that period of volunteering, um, lots of challenges in the family home. I've got siblings with special educational needs. Mum and dad had quite a messy divorce. And I actually asked Krish at one point, can you teach me family therapy? Because I knew he'd got a therapeutic background as well. And so we spent probably two, two or three months doing um, he was teaching me therapeutic techniques it, and what was this is a really beautiful lesson that I had in life because I asked I asked that and he said yep happy to do that you know if you can swap me some lifts from because he didn't drive <laughs> you give me a lift to this event that I'm doing and I'll train you yep fabulous <laughs> sounds like a fair deal <laughs> and by by the end of the process the main thing I learned is that it wasn't my burden mm. to help fix my mom and dad's marriage or deal with things and he could have told me that at the beginning but he didn't, he let me work through that process myself. So I came out at the end of it with this sense of self-acceptance relief of the situation, but I also had the skills if I wanted to do things. So, mm. so um, and I, he also taught us the, the, an introductory NLP lesson to like a, a no, not lesson, program. So there was a bunch of us 18 to 20 year olds learning NLP together. Um, I can't remember all of it now, bits of it come in, you know, but so the amount of input that we've had that is mostly reserved to executives that we had at a young age meant that when I was at school coping with all of that stuff, I, I had a process for coping that it, it was overwhelming, but it never got on top of me. And a friend of mine did joke like, how on earth do you cope with some of the stuff that goes on in your life? And it's, it's exactly because I've got this skill set. I've done my inner work. I know who I am. I know what's my problem and what's just the environment and how I want to navigate it. I have this sense of what it means to be, you know, some people are reactive and they let their environment define them. And, and some people are proactive and say, right, this is what I've got going on. What am I going to choose? To, to do but how am I going to choose to feel about that and emotionally respond and that's such a gift so and as you say I mean to, to to start learning that at 16 is just I mean I was I was what more than double that age before I started learning any of this sort of stuff you know as you say as is as is most the case to to get it at such a young age is fantastic and I know there's a you know a lot of people saying well this this is the stuff that should be taught at school this is the stuff that yeah. will be uh tools that should be given because it gives you that grounding for life absolutely and that was one of the reasons I was dissatisfied with teaching I'd gone into it thinking I am going to have the best PSHE lessons and 
I started a juggling club because one of the things we did in our youth work was juggling to understand the connections between the different sides of the brain and to understand your own approach to resilience and also psychology says that it's good for maintaining the health of your grey matter and your white matter in the brain so there were, and there was all sorts of things where I thought when I've got my class I'm going to do it this way and I'm just going to have this really well-rounded emotionally resilient class but there just wasn't any room for it and I was I was as I said it was a toxic environment on the whole but as a new, newly qualified teacher, being told that maths and English are the only things that matter. And, and I've got a few kids that, you know, maths and English just wasn't their thing. And, it, and you know, one had a lot of behavioral problems. And I thought if he could just learn about farming, because that, that's what captured his interest. If you could get him to, you know, weigh up his wheat rations and, you know, and, and tailor everything to what he was interested in, he would flourish. But as it happens, this system is just not allowing for him to, to work. And it leads to all these behavioral issues. And, and there's so little I can do about it because the school is not letting me and the system is not letting me. So I've got all that going on. Went down to London for a residential weekend with a group of A-level students. And I was so emotional by the end of it because we, what tends to happen is at the end of a session you kind of do the goodbyes and thank yous and they were transformed and when they're telling you how much of a difference you've made and what they've learned about themselves it's it's just really it's 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 so rewarding i absolutely love it and i kind of thought to myself i've made more difference in these two days than i have in my class for the last year what on earth is going on this isn't right and so I was talking to Chris about it he used to live in Sheffield where where I live and most of our program activity happened there but he'd moved to London we sort of said well if you've moved who's going to carry on doing things in Sheffield so he said well you know start your own business you've been doing it long enough now and and in some ways over that nine years I'd kind of turned myself into Chris's personal assistant by saying oh, you know, we're doing this activity, but we don't have any like handouts for people to take away, or we could write up the instructions for this to do train the trainer. And so there were all sorts of things that I'd taken initiative and, and been doing that background business end of things as it were. And so he said, yeah, you know, start your own business if you like, we'll, we'll support you and off you go. Absolutely. So there it is. And that's uh, 2014, I started that. We'll step into that minute because I'm intrigued as well. If we go right back to the very first course with Krish, and you mentioned that you bonded with the chemistry uh, colleague and you're still friends with her or friends with mm. How many people in that original class, uh, you know, what happened to them? Did, they, did, did others get inspired similar to you? Have they all followed similar paths? Have they set up their own business or did they just go back to being what they were before? Any idea what? That's that's a really interesting question actually and not one that I've thought about before so from that original class I only know my friend I don't remember anybody else so there, there was always a funnel effect where at every program Chris would say you know does anyone want to volunteer so maybe out of 30 you might get 10 say they want to volunteer but then maybe eight actually come to the training because it was done properly you know staff conduct safeguarding um, you know basics of coaching and mentoring and then when you've done that 
okay, we've got these dates, who can make it? So you always get a bit of drop off. And so out of that first class, I don't really remember or know about anybody. Mm. Do, you remember what, being, do you remember them being moved in a similar way to you? Um, yeah, a couple of people. Because again, my, my friend was very moved and she, she came back and helped twice. But then after that kind of said, right, I've, you know, that's enough for me. Um, so I think for some people, they take what they, you know, what it gives them in the moment and then they go and carry on. Um, but yeah, we've not had those conversations for me to know. But what's really interesting is that I have a network of friends from other cohorts. So a lot of the people who are really close to me and who, who know me the best are through, through this um, through this program, through this world. And it's opened up a lot of doors in, in my work and other conferences and things. So um, when we go to other colleges, sixth forms, universities and do the program again, people would be asked. And some those who stayed on and were committed would end up becoming really good friends over time. So I think there's a core of maybe 20 of us over the years that, you know, we can't always, we don't always, um, you know, run events anymore because people have grown up and got real jobs and things. I, you know, I'm running this as a business, <laughs> but they've, real but, they're, you, but as opposed to being entrepreneurial and spending yeah. weekends doing residential training things, traditional, you know, traditional jobs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You've got a real job. Seriously. <laughs> but um, yeah, we, and, I'm trying to think we, like we've been to each other's I say each other's I'm not but I've been to two of their three of their weddings no four I'm losing track of who's who and I, I try not to mention too many names in case uh, in case they're not wanting to be put out there but I think there's something very special about the way you connect to people who are going through that kind of transformational process at the same time and again, some of the people who I'm most close to in the world are people who've been involved in this some way or another. And it's through that sense of, you know, at the time we were all volunteering, so we were giving back for a cause that we all believed in. We were mentoring other people um, and training them how to take over the reins on certain things. So we're going through a very nurturing process together. And because we've known each other for so long, we'd share, you know, personal challenges and advice, but not advice in the way, I guess, I'm trying to think how to word it. There's a culture around giving advice of, oh yeah, I went through that, this is what I do. Um, and that can not, you know, sometimes not, not be what people need. It's the done thing. But actually to say, right, I've heard your challenge. It's, you know, it strikes me that this is your actual issue. Or to ask those coaching questions of, okay, well, you've told me this, but is there something else going on? What's the real issue? And what do you think you should do about that? And what have you tried so far? And because we've got this skill set, the way we help each other through processes is, is really, again, very supportive, very nurturing and and it's all about growth rather than just ticking that box that okay I've helped you out I've told you what you needed to hear so so it's really interesting so for those people I know that it's very much fed into their lives and quite a lot of them 
um, you know, have traditional jobs, shall we say. There's, you know, finance, somebody working at a university, somebody working in accounting, but they're using this mindset to help them in that role. And, and you can tell that they're the natural leaders of those teams and that they see the world in a slightly different way. So I think for those people who, who have integrated it, they've, you know, you, you see it leave a legacy. Mm. And I say legacy, that makes it sound like it's old and done with quite often when, you know, I'll say, oh, actually, we've got this one off event or something that's public. You know, is anyone free? It tends to be if it's on a weekend. But if, if there are things going on, oh, we've got a weekend event. Do you want to do you want to pop along? And but yeah, but it, it's still part of who they are. Mm. And so they, they want to keep their toe in as and when they can amongst their very busy lives. <laughs> yeah. And I think it, it, it you know, talking to your main point as well as about not um, not controlling other people, you know, it's, it's self self control at the end of the day but the, the 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 learning path the learning process the journey everyone goes on it's different for different people at different times and different paces so you know you, you, in your original class there's only a few that really get it there and that that point but others may get it later on yeah connect with some people because you connect but you can't force the connection mm. and actually I remember so when I first started out on my own as the business um, we ran a program for a college. So I started off in, in youth work because I was young at the time and that was the audience that I knew. I've since branched out. But the first thing we did um, under my company, the Self Leadership Initiative, was um, for the, the Sheffield College. And there was a group of people, I think there might have only been 10 young people sign up. And they, they were a very shy group. And I did notice over the years that some of the students were less and less responsive to coaching so you kind of do this daft activity where people have got blindfolds on and they're making sheep and dog noises to direct each other or tangling each other up with string to learn about team problem solving you say right what you know what did you notice what did you learn about yourself what did you learn about your team members and you're asking all these questions to get them into that frame of mind of building self-awareness and they just go mm -hmm. Like, can't you just tell us? Like, no, that's, that's not the point. But so we were doing all, all that kind of usual mad stuff that was very much our brand of experiential learning. And there were a few of them that just, you could tell they were, they were so shy that it was beyond their comfort zone. And we were really worried each week that, oh my goodness, we're, we're traumatizing this person. They, they hate it. And they, I don't know, it was really, really weird. But we got through it and they seemed to be getting something out of it, but it didn't quite feel for one or two of them that it was right. And if it was a bigger group of 30, it would have worked better because then they would have had more introverts to, to kind of work with and stuff. But what's interesting is that, oh, I'm trying to think when it was. It might have been a year and a half ago on LinkedIn. Somebody dropped me a message to say, oh, hello, I, I spotted you on LinkedIn and thought I'd get in touch. I was in that cohort. And if I'm honest, I really hated it at the time because it pushed me so far out of my comfort zone. But now I'm, I've just finished my law degree and I've realised how much it helped me wow. to realise I needed to push myself and I just wanted to say thank you. And I was just so overwhelmed that, oh, yes. Like I felt at the time that it wasn't quite, 
you know, I wasn't sure if it was quite landing, but I think, as you say, sometimes things take a while to drip feed. And because not everybody gets the opportunity to learn about themselves in that kind of way, even if you do it a bit before you're ready, at least you can come back to it and say, hold on a minute, nobody else has tried to teach me that. I'll go back to that because now I'm ready and now at least I know it exists. Even if I wasn't ready for it at the time, it's on my radar of something I can go back to. Whereas there are some people who don't know about it at all. I remember when I did my one-year teacher training, I got to the end of the teacher training and went, hold on a minute, nobody's taught us about coaching skills on a teaching program. What's going on? And none of my colleagues were bothered because they they didn't know about coaching either. They've not got the awareness to to be outraged or concerned. Whereas I I kind of I've learned about coaching through my volunteering. It absolutely should be a core skill on a teaching program. What's going on? So I don't know if it was just my program or whether that's that's the done thing in teaching. But it felt it felt problematic that it wasn't a big module. Mm. Yeah, it does seem odd because but most there's a lot of um, teachers that move into the coaching space because it's a natural uh, natural uh, progression but as you say maybe it's because it's not taught enough in the in the school environment that they, they need to go outside but I, I do like the the it's occurred to me when we were talking about the uh, uh the, the story with the person coming back you know 18 18 or well, five years later whatever it was but um mm. I was just thinking it's it's human psyche to resist anything that's forced upon us yeah so, and and this just goes down to fashion or television program you know if if everyone else has been watching a television program you kind of refuse to get into that television i'm not watching game of thrones just because everybody else is watching and then secretly you catch an episode and watch one and then you build it and then you you start oh actually yeah. i do quite like it but don't admit it to the other people because you've been so against it but we we have to find that space for ourselves to feel comfortable to start taking those steps and start watching that program that fashion that whatever it might be um yeah. but, but don't enforce it on us <laughs> and sometimes as a teenager it's not cool to be seen you know doing all these volunteering career kind yeah. of things you know you want to be you want to be edgy <laughs> and self-awareness is not edgy <laughs> <laughs> no, you, the, the cool kids aren't aren't learning anything let alone anything about themselves <laughs> but, uh, well what would you say was the number one thing you learned about yourself on that original course I think the thing that stood out for me the most was the, the personality typing model and so so we we use the four temperaments which isn't a a well-used one. I guess in businesses you go for kind of Myers-Briggs or Enneagram or DISC because there's questionnaires and it's and it's also marketable. Yes. Um, but the temperaments is a four-type module. It's kind of similar to DISC, but we taught it through role plays. And that because there's four types, the advantage of that is okay, you get a snapshot of yourself, but there's only three other types of people to remember. And I think as a 16 year old me was very judgmental being an academic student um I mean I had a bit of a tough time in secondary school where because I wanted to learn I got bullied a lot I was always I was the only person in the class actually doing what they were supposed to be doing there were some other people who would have liked to learn but if push comes to shove and the other kids are saying no no let's mess about they'd mess about so that they didn't get picked on whereas I took a stand and would quite often have a problem for it and 
because of that, I was very judgmental about people who were different to me. Okay, well, you're clearly, you know, stupid, rubbish, whatever it is, you're, you're ruining my education. And hate's a strong word, but I was very, you know, I was very unkind to others. Mm. And, you know, not outwardly, but in response to the way they treat me, I just saw it as, you know, you're being mean, I'm, I'm not respecting you. And so what, what I really learned through the personality typing, obviously there's, there's more going on than just personality. There's all sorts of other models around people's hidden needs, their identity, how people cope with traumas and challenges and things like that. But as a starting point, I recognize that, okay, maybe I like learning because of the strengths that I have around organizations, systems, routines. And actually I'm at an advantage in the school system because that runs that way they're having to work all that much harder because maybe they're more in the extroverted, spontaneous, you know, wanting to do things in a different way. And maybe they communicate differently to me. And actually me being judgmental is, is not the kind of person I want to be. So it, it gave me a sense of empathy that actually other people are different. And I met people people of different types who I did get on better with because we could communicate in a different way and it also helped me to understand a lot of why me and my sister argued because she was you know archetype archetype um you know the opposite to me and I again I, I just thought you know she's just stupid or she's just angry or immature and actually no no she's different her worldview is no more or less valid than mine but it's different and yes I may want her to change and be different but actually you can't make anybody do anything how am I going to change the way I communicate to try and adjust this this relationship so all sorts of little thoughts and tools that came from personality archetyping really supported me making friendships and hopefully being a nicer person to be around mm. but it's it's it's, it's, it's yeah because it's it's to actually shift from this is how the world is to, oh, there are other options. Mm. It's a tiny, tiny little shift, but dramatically alters your worldview and you can't go back. You yeah. know, it's a permanent shift. Even though you don't know what all the different views are, or the different perspectives, whatever it might be, just knowing that there's a lot more than the way you think. Yeah. <laughs> and being able to move from labelling people and saying, oh, they're like this, to, oh, I'm noticing this behaviour, what could be going on for that person? You know, that, that is what stops you from the reactive response and goes into the proactive one of, you know, curiosity, how, okay, I'm presented with this, what am I going to think about it? How am I going to respond to it? Um, and it just gives you that thinking time that means you can be more mindful in how you show up in the world. Mm. And, you know, go, going to the judgmental, the hate, the the aggressive, reactive sort of mode, it's, it's easy, but it's quite boring. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, after a while, it's like, are you not fed up of just being angry at people? Not you. Um, so being aware there's another way of doing it. And he say, when you get that curiosity mode, then it gets interesting. It's like, oh, hello. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And, and and you're into a different space then. So so just general relationships just get more interesting because you're looking at it from a different perspective. And as you say, you start it's a, a problem to start not necessarily solving, but at least understanding. Yeah. Um, and and uh, it opens up who 
who you might have relationships with as well because I guess when I was younger I only really wanted to hand out with hang out with people who were nerdy and wanted to study like me mm. because my experience had told me that people who were not interested in studying were, were just not going to like me and therefore why would I bother with that kind of person whereas with that greater understanding of different types of people now I you know I've it broadened my mind to who I might want to be friends with because actually, okay, maybe they're not the same as me in that regard, but as long as we have a respectful relationship and understand each other are different, they've got strengths that I've not got because I was quite, you know, I say maybe a bit rigid, systematic process. Having friends who are a bit more spontaneous actually is really fun and interesting when you get on in other ways. Mm. So it really helps you to have a broader worldview. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, and again, that worldview is the key phrase there because it's across the board mm-hmm. and, 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 and even, you know, major political decisions down to individual interactions, everything can be looked at in a different way yeah. and it changes your response to it. So instead of being trapped in a reactive stress response, mm-hmm. <laughs> you shift into a, okay, let's get curious and intrigue. Um, fantastic so moving into your business setting up your own business on the recommendation of were, were you were you kind of t- taking on what he was doing and sort of franchising it or were you completely from scratch starting doing your own thing just taking some ideas and how can I make it work for me I guess you could argue it was franchising uh, you know we never oh, use those words but the, yeah franchise, but that so it was effectively that he'd, he'd given me his blessing to use whatever content I wanted that he'd developed I mean I, I say that he developed a lot of what we did is based on stuff that's out there so um, you know we'd we talk to people about the seven habits of highly effective people, but play it all through games. So yes. the mod, the models out there and that belongs to Stephen Covey, but our way of getting young people to understand it was, was kind of different. So and we to, take, and to be honest, he didn't come up with them either. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, how, how, back again. <laughs> how do you copyright the idea of stepping out of your comfort zone? Like, no, yes. it's, it's all out there to use. So, but, I definitely had his blessing to use things as we had developed them and been using them. And actually for for a number of years, um, Krish and another colleague, Denny, were directors of the company. They kind of left me to it, but for that, you know, for that handholding stage, they they were involved on the paperwork side as well. So um, yeah, it had a different name because, you know, we wanted that separation. But it was very much the same model of starting off working with young people in colleges, universities on intensive kind of leadership programs. Um, well, not intensive, but immersive. So, you know, let us have them for a weekend or for a number of weeks, regular time. Um, but it, it kind of grew and evolved sorted out of necessity I mean I I knew nothing about running a business at the time I'd studied education and you know didn't didn't even do business at GCSE or A level so it was all that was going to be one of my questions was what was what was your biggest challenge now that you're in charge (laughs) yeah yeah I think um I mean I did I'm I'm a systematic organized person so I did spend six months doing research 
so I didn't go in completely blind but and, and I'm very grateful that um, Sheffield City Council has a lot of startup workshops so I went to all sorts of things about cash flow branding marketing and you know it can't quite prepare you for the learning curve but I'm certainly better off than I was with you know if I hadn't had any of that to go on it, it might not have lasted <laughs> so I think um I mean my biggest challenge probably was the the marketing and messaging side of things and to some extent it still is because trying to get across the okay I can work with anybody on developing their inner leader or their you know on their emotional intelligence people think, well, why would you want that and it's like no why wouldn't you but but trying you know everybody says find a niche and do it you know I help you solve this problem but actually what I do is I give you the skills to solve a whole range of problems that we don't even know what what they might be but you're just you know more in tune with yourself to be able to navigate it and so so that's that's a bit of fun um but yeah so we 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 started off with sort of college age students. And then as they were moving into, I guess it, it was very interesting because they said, oh yeah, we, we're quite happy for you to keep working with our students under this, this new organization, that's great. Can you, can you assess their learning as you go? I was like, okay, well, I am a teacher, so I can, but, but what do you mean? Oh, well, we really want them to get a qualification at the end of it. So we, we worked out how to turn it into a qualification in enterprise skills. And then there was another hurdle and another hurdle. And it started moving away from this holistic learning experience and being a tick box exercise. Mm -hmm. And although it was great to be handed 300 students in a cohort and say, right, off you go, work with them. It was like, hold on a minute. You forced everybody to do it before we used to get them to opt in and choose, but because they were wanting to you know, make up their learner hours, it, it wasn't quite working because those who didn't want to be there ruined it for those that did. And it reminded me back of my school days, actually. So I had to go through a process of kind of, we had these four cohorts of sorting them out into, okay, I'm going to put all the people who just don't care into a group on their own. And just, I will just talk at them for an hour and that ticks off what the college wants into. Of, okay they've, they've had something but those who actually want to do it I need them to be in a safe space where they can do all the silly activities without thinking all the cool kids are gonna you know make fun of them and uh, so that was a bit of a mess and actually I think that taught me that from a values perspective know when to say no to a client because actually they wanted to change it so much that it, it wasn't it wasn't right but being so new in business I kind of felt okay well they want us to do some work let's let's do it um mm. and i use us because at the time some of the other volunteers were still still helping out with that which was really um you know really a, a blessing in terms of me learning to deliver programs independently and it's, it's um, the weird it's the weird contradictions in terms and this, this is the thing everything in business there's no black or white there's no way of doing things it's a case of this works sometimes and sometimes the total opposite works and you've kind of got to find the right thing but we're we're always taught from a very young age the customer's always right and you go out and find out what the needs of the people are and, and tailor things to match the needs mm. and that's that actually we're doing all of that yeah. <laughs> uh and it leads us down the wrong path 
So mm. sometimes you have to completely ignore what the client wants and put the boundaries in and so on and so forth. So it's just getting yeah. that balance right is very tricky. Um, and, and you can, because you, you can print up, show loads of books and websites and motivational quotes that say this, I'm doing the right thing and it'd be the wrong thing. Yeah. And I think that's, I, I mean, I've, I'd like to say to people, okay, I work in a bespoke way, although there's some what may be considered off the shelf, okay, public speaking training or, um, you know, conflict resolution skills. It's not quite off the shelf because there's always that conversation where a client will say, okay, I'm, I'm after, I'm after public speaking training. Okay. Tell, tell me about your group. Why are you interested in this? What's going on? What's the challenge? And they'll say something like, oh yeah, well, they've got these speeches coming up and I want them to learn how to write these speeches because they're all so nervous. Okay, hold on a minute, they're, they're nervous. Yeah, yeah, you know, they, they can't perform on stage. So I want you to do a speech writing session. Like, no, no, what are you on about? So obviously I'm, I'm not that rude about it, but we go through, <laughs> we oh, go through a process. That well, be that judgmental, go for it. <laughs> so, okay, okay. If, if the, it sounds like the actual issue is confidence. So perhaps we could do a workshop around duh, 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 and, it, and we'll do something around, you know, body language and, and self-motivation. And uh, I guess maybe a bit of anchoring and visualization tools and things like that, because it's, you know, it sounds like they can actually write the speech. It sounds like that's not the problem. The fact that they can't deliver the speech is something else. And again, when it comes to things like the conflict or the teamwork, whenever somebody says, okay, this is what we want. It's like, okay, but, but do you really want that? What's actually going on? And I, I really enjoy that puzzle side of it. Um, and it was always very fun working with with education providers who say, okay, we want employability skills. And I'm like, no, you don't. You want life skills. You want, you know, you want well-being, you want resilience, you know, the employability will come after. And that was always an interesting negotiation, trying to get them to see the value in the other stuff. Um, so I kind of moved into working a lot more with universities and student unions because again, there's there's still quite a young cohort there, but it's a bit easier to, to convince them of the value of things. Um, it's a bit easier financially working with them as well because they have that kind of, okay, we've got budget to spend on training and development where colleges say, well, we're already teaching people all the time. We've, you know, we've spent our teaching hours. And then it's been really interesting over the years because I, I guess when I started, I was 25 years old and I only really had the confidence to work with young people because when I was in networking rooms with people who were older than me, I don't know if it was just my perception or whether it was really going on, but people would kind of look down their nose a little bit and be like, oh, what do you know about business or training? Or, you know, you can't be a leadership trainer. You, you know, you're not even a, a management executive. And it's like, no, but I've got nine years experience. And people, people wouldn't see, you know, I guess understandably, you wouldn't think to look at me, I've got that much experience. Um, but as I went on, I'd get, um, community groups, charities kind of saying, oh, do you do? And through a lot of the networking I've done, um, you know, some of the, I've been part of all sorts of different youth conferences. And so through, through that, people would say, oh, I've got, uh, you know, some, I've got a session for refugees on leadership skills. Do you want to, do you want to do that? And I go, whoa, I've never worked with refugees before. I can do the leadership skills bit, but okay, let's, let's give it a go. And actually that's led to an ongoing project. I think I've been involved at least for the last four years and I, I suspect it will carry on for many years to come 
working with that kind of group. And then I've done intergenerational workshops where we've got, you know, 60 year olds and six year olds in the same room learning about coaching and communication so that the, the adults are able to really give children voice and the children are taught public speaking and assertiveness to be able to express so that they can meet in the middle and work in partnership. So again, another reason I don't like to, to say, you know, who it is I work with or what the niche is, is because I absolutely love it when something weird comes along. And, you know, I've, can you work with some prospective head teachers on their life balance and, and organizational skills? Absolutely. And, can, you know, I, I'm quite happy to do any sort of soft skills development with anybody who's interested in change. So the, 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 I mean, there's no particular uh, area that you prefer working with right now that, you, that, that sort of resonates more, or is it just, or, or even is it even a case of if there's a new group I've never worked with before, that does that just like, oh, excellent? Is it just just new and different? Always good, is it? Uh, I do like new and different because I, I really, again, firmly believe that it's good to push yourself out of your comfort zone every so often. Mm. You know, I think that's how we we challenge ourselves, and it's very easy for new and different to then become a staple that oh you know I've tried this it's working and now that's a whole line of business or, or you know line of enjoyment I, I've always got a special place for working with young people I think because of my you know my original life goal was to be a teacher and then I went through the training myself at a young age I really really believe that the more we can get these kind of skills into people at a younger age the better it's going to be. Um, another area that I work with is positive psychology. So during the pandemic, I kind of dug out all the well-being stuff I'd already got and did a lot of further research and realized actually there's, there's room for a program here. So I developed something called the Tools for Happier Living program. And so I mostly just, it's, it's an open program where anybody can sign up, but a lot of it tends to be adults in, in work who haven't necessarily got like a mental health problem or a challenge, but also are quite flourishing. There's something kind of missing. And so we go through things like what is a gratitude practice and how does that make a difference? And looking at an introduction to cognitive behavioral therapy so that they can reframe their thoughts. How do you manage stress? Do you understand what the neurotransmitters do in the body to regulate mood mm. and then we do sort of big stuff like have you considered your sense of meaning in life and the Japanese concept of ikigai and I really like that because for me it kind of tops and tails that I really want to work with the young people and make sure that they're equipped so that they don't have that challenge or that when they face the challenge they're equipped but some will slip through the net. So I want to do the well-being program with adults that, okay, now they've got to a stage where they realize I want to learn something because I want to change. I want to, I want to overcome this challenge. And so I, you know, working with them to the best time is now. Let's let's do something to be a better version of me, be a happier version of me. So they're the two areas that I I, I guess I enjoy the most. Um, but I also really like the refugee work because again, it's, you know, there's, there's so many groups that you, you see you're really making a difference to one person, 
but then they take it into their community and their family and it yeah the, the ripple effect is just very special absolutely love it mm, and uh, and it's hard to see that isn't it you know mm. you, you can only really see it one maybe two degrees but when you get the messages back like you did from the LinkedIn from years back, yeah. it locks in and go, oh, gosh, yeah, actually, this travels through time and space and everything. And you, you will never know how much of an impact you've had. Mm. But it's worth reflecting and remind, reminding yourself what you do on a day to day basis and how how big it can go. Yeah. Makes it worthwhile. What, what, what do you do for your own self-development and learning obviously i've heard research crop up a few times so there clearly there's a lot of reading and doing and stuff but what's uh what's what, what do you have a general program do you go looking out for new things what's your so i'm 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 always up for signing up to, to people's workshops and things um even when the material might be similar to what i know i think it's always good to see how different people do stuff I have got a, a massive pile of books. I'm a, I'm a slow reader. I'm, I'm, I'm fast with fiction, but nonfiction takes me time. So I, I tend to, you know, find a quiet week and then dedicate a morning to just blasting through a book. Is that because of the nonfiction you're really processing and taking notes? Yeah, I, so yeah, it's a case of taking all the way through, which I then, um, my, my process is to, I used to do it on the computer where I'd type and read, but I found that far too distracting. So I have to just kind of switch off from everything, sit somewhere quiet and read the book and note on paper. But then I still want a digital copy of my summary of what I've understood from the book. So then I'll use some annotation software, you no, know, like audio recording to read my notes out, get them on the computer. And I, you know, I'll put little stars all over the place. So, right, this is a model worth researching or, or quite often I'll go, oh, I can turn that into a game. And because that's my process and, and in terms of being the primary school teacher. So it's quite immersive. And I can't just listen to an audio book in the car about this kind of thing, because I need that time to capture the ideas as they go. Um, so, so you're transforming as things crop up instantly, you're, you're putting them into places and how you can use it, and how you can speak. Yeah, it. yeah. I've, I've just remembered a really funny one. So um, one holiday I'd taken Leaders Eat Last by Simon Sinek with me. And there was a, a lovely bit where he was talking about the role, one of the roles of a leader is to create a circle of safety. And he got all his theory about when people feel safe. And I'm just like, oh, how do I get this, this idea of a circle in a physical sense? So uh, there's a lovely activity that I haven't been able to do for a while because there's you know, less in-person stuff um, right now. Hopefully it'll be back up soon, but okay split people into three groups. You lot are the zebras, you lot are the lions, you lot are the buffaloes. Zebras, you just got to run through it, you're in trouble. Buffaloes, you put your horns up. When your horns are up, the lion can't get you. Lions, you know, put your hands out in front of you to make a mouth. If you eat a zebra, you, you know, they're dead. If you eat the back of a buffalo, they're dead, but you can't get them. And then I kind of get them to spread out on the room, ring my little bells, off you go. And it's absolute chaos. It's brilliant. All these, and I, I particularly like doing it with adults in workplaces. And I've done that as an introduction to what is leadership because they kind of, there's, there's an initial resistance to being asked to do something silly, but then they kind of get into it because they don't get to do things silly often. So, 
So they run around and it's a mess and everybody dies in the lines of Victoria. So I say, right, now, now have a chat. Think about how that went, have a chat. Do you want to change your strategy? And sometimes you have to do this a couple of times, but then what naturally emerges is that the buffaloes realize that if they stand in a circle with their horns pointing out and the zebras within, the zebras are protecting, the lions can't do anything. And, and that, that's the end point. And so we stop there and say, right, what lessons did you get from leadership about this? And they say, you know, about collaboration or some people have responsibility to take care of the vulnerable, there's safety in teams and they talk about trust. And, you know, did the zebras want to do that with you? Did all the buffaloes agree? And you can get some really interesting lessons. And then, and then I go, oh, and by the way, Simon Sinek says circle of safety. And then you introduce the model. But now the model makes sense. I mean, it would have made sense me telling them anyway. But because they've experienced that process and because they generated the solution themselves, it was a natural and logical thing to happen. They can buy into that concept because, you know, it's real to them now. And that's what I love doing as a trainer is saying, okay, we've got this model of, okay, time management matrix, or we've got this conflict theory. How can I make that a real learning experience so that people can feel how, you know, how do I work through that situation? And they can reflect, okay, this was my response, but what were the other team members' responses? And in a group, what are, gonna, what are the different patterns of response to this scenario? And I think that's the thing about building self-awareness is curating effective activities that let people have those moments of self-awareness and then asking the right question to get them to really think about it. Mm. Yeah, that's great. So it takes me ages to do my reading and research, but when I do, it, it usually ends up with, I've got a whole new workshop out of this. Well, exactly. So you don't need to read many books to, <laughs> to, to make the book, book reading worthwhile. And, and what about your internal sort of deeper reflections you say in terms of who you are and how, mm -hmm. how you show up in the world because that's that's not reading a book that's a different yeah. process what do you do in that space? so i i've been gratitude journaling since oh, 2016 really really recommend that that's more of a just for your kind of mindset and outlook on life that you either start or finish the day with what you're grateful for. It's got loads of well-being benefits, but that helped me to notice what I appreciate, which I think is one, one layer of self-awareness. And are you, are you doing um, two new things every day or just whatever comes to mind, even if it's the same as yesterday? What's your... Um, I don't consciously make it. Uh, different to yesterday I mean mo most of the research says pick three things a day and explain why I I found that I've got so many things that I've, I've had to make a routine out of doing six and some some things reoccur food is often on the list somewhere where we've made a delicious meal or, or eaten something brilliant um but you get reoccurring things such as okay learned this or I've completed this and I'm proud of it or I enjoyed being with this person so even if it's a similar theme it will be different each time um, so I do that and then in the morning I just have a an open reflective journal where before I kind of get started for the day I just write down whatever's on my mind and that 
sometimes it's just a it's just a diary of what happened but when I'm going through a process if there's a challenge or if there's a concern or something that was really moving and transformational it gives me space to articulate actually what was going on for me there and I think that's really important that it again builds that self-awareness and it's good if there's an ongoing challenge because you can look back and think okay last week did I think and feel the same way about this thing now that I've had some more time so I think journaling is not for everybody sometimes you can talk that through with a person instead but but that time to express what's going on for you is very good for staying connected to the inner world mm. how much revisiting do you do on your journaling okay. um not a great deal. I don't make a particular habit of it, but I, I guess when I finish a book, um, I might look at the, okay, I've come to the end of this and now I'm starting a new one. How did I start this one? Let's compare. I'll revisit if I feel the need to revisit, such as, has this come up before? What did I think and do then? Has something changed? Or occasionally, if I want to remember a, a particular, I might go to the gratitude journal if I want to remember something that's, okay, that was a positive event, what's gone on then? Mm. Um, but I do keep them all. I think, you know, they're an interesting resource for me. And occasionally it, it can be good to, you know, bring other people in and say, you know, okay, we, we had a conversation about this and these were my thoughts at the time. And so it, it's good to refer back to. Mm. and uh you know they're, they're obviously they're relatively common well known now but if there's anybody listening that still thinks it's a little bit uh not for me or whatever you a, just got to give it a go but b mm. um warren buffett uses gratitude journals mm. and he he's he he will go right back to sort of being born yeah <laughs> and, and all the successes through life so whenever he's and, and you know the richest man on the planet in just case you're not sure um or one of and uh, incredibly business orientated and and scientific logical mind and that kind of stuff. But yeah, he, gratitude journal is one of his uh, mm -hmm. big things that he uses. Um, and I'm trying to remember who it was now. Where had been him actually? But there was someone that came up with an idea, a, 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 a way of doing it which I thought was very good. So you keep your journal, and then at the end of the week, you pick the best one of the week. Yeah. The best three of the week, and then at the end of the month, the best ones from. So you end up being the best of the best of so at the end of the year you've got like 12 best things of the year sort of thing so you can always have you run down top of the pops type <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's quite nice somebody bought me a uh, a life journal that's a really big book and I was thinking it'd be nice to pick out some of the best ones and put put that in there and you know the milestones so mm. you've almost got a little bit of an autobiography snapshot kind of thing I do go over the gratitude journal more than the the, the morning journal because when I first started that I was lo um, logging it all on social media which worked for me at the time but then I, I switched to paper because I thought actually being on on social media last thing at night is a really terrible idea so I've been manually like writing them all up into a nice book and so going back to things that happened four or five years ago mm. it's, it's actually a bit surreal because I can remember more of the day than the than the you know the actual sentences account for because I've picked out a number of milestones from that day that are positive events I can kind of remember oh and this happened as well and there was this so it's it's actually quite interesting to to be able to go back into your own memory like that 
And again, there's a load of research backing up that people who do gratitude journaling do have more positive memories of their life, but also remember more of their life as well, which is really cool. Mm, absolutely. Because, you know, why wouldn't you remember more positive things? <laughs> but, um, uh, brilliant. Um, any other little things that you do? Before I, um, I have a vision board. Um, so I... I did a lot of work on goal setting kind of theories and tips and I, I think in spreadsheets a lot of the time so I like to have an excel of okay what's the goal what are the steps but I found that for, for my early career having very concrete goals was useful but now I'm at a stage that I don't like to set very strong goals because you can get yourself into a bit of a mess of saying you know teenage me wanted to to be married at 30 and have two kids and all that kind of stuff and I think having that as an intention is fine but setting a deadline is actually a bit unreasonable because to some extent it's not in your control and you end up saying oh well if I've failed that it's you know failed goal so you know and that can be the same for certain career goals and all sorts of other things where if you're too rigid with it it's a stick to beat yourself with yeah absolutely so I've moved into vision boarding now and I find that the visual is quite motivating and I have it on my desk with me where I've got kind of my my mission in life at the top my you know a couple of pictures that represent the kind of person I want to be the direction I want to take my business in things I want to achieve in my personal life and then they're not with deadlines but on the back I've kind of got some ideas about what the process and steps are and because I've got those pictures if I feel a bit oh I'm lethargic today I kind of look at the vision board yeah this is what I'm aiming for this is what matters to me and it and it's it's that boost of motivation so I, I really like doing that and that's it, it's a nice reflective process to go through generating it but it's also good to reflect you know on a weekly monthly basis which of these parts of the vision board uh you know am I really making progress towards which ones are on the back burner what does that mean and you know just spending time noticing and I'm, I keep looking to the side because it's literally just there at the, you know at the side of the screen it's very much where I'm working all day it's there in my in my periphery so that I, I believe that's know. quite a critical element of the whole process you can make a yeah. video and shove it in the drawer <laughs> <laughs> not really serving its purpose is it yeah but, and, and one thing I can't let go, because you just dropped it in there without going into detail, is what's the mission? Oh, well, I open with the mission to inspire and empower people to become their best selves. So my mission is the same mission as the business. And I think that that's not everybody will have the ability to do that if you work in a big organisation. But one of the challenges of, of running your own business is that the two can be entwined. Yeah, absolutely. And one feels that they ought to be the same. Sometimes they can be parallel or, or feeding into each other but there certainly has to be some sort of connection mm -hmm. if you were to um and you may actually have done this internally with some of the things you do but if you were to have a conversation with your 16 year old self having just come out of that uh, workshop how, how do you think the conversation would run oh in what sense like are you asking what 16 year old me would say or what, what i would, would say to my both what would she think of you and what would you think of her and how would the conversation go I think 16 year old me would find it very hard to believe who I've become in a lot of different ways um you know I think I think she would think positively of it 
but would think how on earth did you get that you know this this isn't the plan it doesn't make sense um i grew up in a very white working class part of sheffield very meat-eating family and now i'm a vegan with all sorts of interfaith friends and connections i think that would confuse 16 year old me uh, I never really had any travel plans, but I've delivered workshops in India, Bahrain, Switzerland. Again, 16-year-old me would be really baffled as to how did you end up there? And again, I could say I could say what the steps were, but even then, a lot of that's just random opportunities that I've, you know, there wasn't a plan. That's just kind of happened in a really exciting way. I think I don't think I would say very much to my 16-year-old self. I'm, I know there's that playful thing about time travel and what would you do differently, but I think. But that's you know, why I phrase the question that way, because I think that that question going about what would you say to your younger self? I don't think I, I would. Don't, I don't like that question because we are where we are because we are where we are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I would want to have the journey as it was, mm. you know, challenges and successes, because you learn from both. Um, I don't think 16 year old me would have thought in any way at all about starting a business. It would have been intimidating, you know. And I was still very passionate about teaching then. And again, I needed to experience teaching to learn what it was and what it wasn't to be able to make that informed decision. Um, but I think I would have been excited to think, wow, this is okay. okay this is where it could go if we keep, if, you know, if we keep on this path. Because I remember, you know, when we were doing the leadership program, some of the some of the mentors who, who work with me had also done interesting things. And I remember thinking, you know, they're not that much older than me. How did they end up doing these things? That's really exciting, but it's not, you know, I, I'll never get there. So, you know, that I think to be encouraged that, you know, if you, if you know who you are, if you focus and not even focus in a, you know, in a workaholic toxic, you know, just, if, if you if you make choices based on what matters to you you'd be really surprised what what you can achieve there's the trailer for the podcast <laughs> <laughs> i couldn't have scripted that if i tried it <laughs> i just sort of came out <laughs> uh brilliant and um on that journey on that path where where next for for your business where are you taking it just just I new stuff like as it crops to, up. to say yeah i mean there's there's a few little bits of international work coming up um i say at the moment but probably hopefully have passed by the time this airs and i i enjoy doing that because i i really value um interfaith intercultural I, i'm very much a believer in you know we're one humanity and that there's a shared human spirit so i like training across interesting divides because i think that it challenges me as a trainer to see does my work you know it does work but how do i make sure that i'm addressing the, the intercultural side of things where it crops up i like doing um mixed age stuff as well really passionate about the well-being and positive psychology work so i think i think those are the routes that i'll concentrate on but i'm very open to seeing what happens as well and i suspect little things will crop up that give me a whole new direction to play around with um and yeah i guess we'll we'll see from there really i 
I, I don't know if it sounds like cheating not to come up with much of a plan, but I think I, I am enjoying my business as it is now as well. Um, I'm without getting too much into politics and stuff. I, I don't believe in that message that you've always got to be striving for more to get a bigger house and all that stuff. I, I think there's a lot of well-being and enjoyment to be taken from the moment and the way you, you know, live out your lifestyle. And my lifestyle is really enjoyable right now. So while there may be interesting directions, I'm not, I'm not seeking to change that much about my life or my business because right now is lovely. And it's an important point because the, 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 as you say, that striving for more or being somewhere almost suggests a lack mm. in and of itself. And the flip side is being comfortable where you now doesn't stop progression. Yeah. That's what some people think is like, well, if I'm happy with now, then I'm going to stay here. <laughs> well, mm. first off, what's wrong with that if you're enjoying now? So, you know, fine. Uh, but actually it doesn't change the uh, prevent the, the shifts of movement happening again going back to what we said earlier on as long as you're, you're open and 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 go th for that heart-centered approach moving forward then the only stuff that can come into your life and moving forward is going to be good stuff so mm. what's wrong with that and somebody um that i work with used to talk about depth and breadth when they were you know doing their program so i guess breadth is how many different different things are you doing or how much time or do are you growing the business but depth is you know really solidifying cementing understanding what's going on now so i think there's there's no breadth plans to expand or do a lot of new stuff but by enjoying the moment it gives me the time and space to just really deepen everything that is happening mm, no that's good 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 way of looking at it because both are important mm. and um and again it's 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 having that balance of both uh, it's great Okay, um, so I, I think we need to get to the key question, which uh, we, we ask everybody in the podcast. Um, obviously, we've alluded to some of the things, but if you're able to bring it all together into one, <laughs> what works for you? Uh, Gemma, what is it that makes your bits tingle? Seeing somebody else's moment of personal change. And I, I leave that very open-ended because sometimes... Sometimes it's a workplace. Okay, now I can go for that promotion without a sense of insecurity, or now I know how to navigate a conflict that's been going on for ages. But I, I do prefer the moments of personal change that are personal life a bit more. As, so working with groups of people who say, oh, I want to learn about personality types so I can manage my team better. And then they say, actually, wow, I'm going to go home and talk to my son in a different way. You're like that kind of thing matters to me more because I think when we bring together who we are, you know, in the workplace and take it into our personal life, you know, that that's the whole self-leadership thing for me is that you show up in all different parts of the world. If you can just deal with how you show up in general, it's going to pop up in all sorts of different areas and give you a better quality of life. So hearing those moments, seeing them happen is absolutely what fuels me. Perfect. Thank you very much. Uh, Gemma, if people need to find out more about you or, or see what's going on with you right now or, or track you down, where, where should they go? Where should they look? So you can go to my company website. The company is the Self-Leadership Initiative, but that's very long. So the website is theSLI.co.uk. 
you can also find me on LinkedIn if you search for Gemma Perkins. Um, I've got Twitter, Instagram and all that kind of other stuff as well, but the website is probably the best shout. Fantastic. And um, and again, just re, re, uh, reiterate, totally on board with what you say. You know, we can have all the plans and the ideas and the strategies and the training and all the rest of it, but ultimately everything comes down to getting ourselves in the right position first because when we're in the right position then we can actually take all these things and make them work uh, and cooperate with the people around us rather than instruct or dictate absolutely so, thank you Gemma. it's been an absolute pleasure uh, listening to you talk it's, um, it's it's just been joyful just to, to hear you speaking anyway and 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 I'm jealous that you managed to learn all that stuff so young. <laughs> but hey, we've got to be grateful for what we do have. So um, the, the fact that we're there is, is good. Um, but it's, um, it's wonderful what you're doing. And um, uh, I wish you all the best fortune for the future ahead. Thank you so much. And thank you for the excellent conversation. Thank you. These podcasts are not necessarily here to give you all the answers. I want you to think about what's been said, what's come up, and how you might apply that to your own situation. And if you've enjoyed it, then please subscribe to the podcast and, of course, share it on the social media platforms and so more people get a chance to hear what's going on. Thanks very much for listening. My name's Andrew Miller from Business Enjoyment and I want you to enjoy your business so much it makes your bits tingle. <laughs>